remember when the Lord first called me to preach that I went to a Christian bookstore in our area and I located a book that had just come out. The book was titled Just As I Am, an autobiography written by Billy Graham. And I'll never forget the influence, the impact that autobiography had on my life as a young man called to preach. It's fascinating and, and challenging and encouraging to hear people tell their story. Well, this morning, we're going to see Paul quickly share his autobiography. He's going to share his story. And he's got some reasons in doing that. And we'll see those reasons as we look together in Galatians chapter 1. So turn there with me. Galatians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 11. We are continuing our study through this New Testament book. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches in the first century Roman province of Galatia. Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. The plan this morning is to finish chapter 1 of Galatians, but I'm not making any promises. We're going we're gonna to try, but I'm not, I'm not sure we're going to get there. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, which is truth with no mixture of error. I'm grateful that God has spoken. And we have the Word of God living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Aren't you grateful for your Bible today? Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ." They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Look at this last sentence. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And we are grateful for yet another opportunity to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. As a faith family, 
lifting up your name, rejoicing in who you are and what you have done for us. It is a privilege to be here today. And it is a privilege, one that is filled with expectancy, to now come before your word, asking you to speak into our lives by your word, apply to our hearts by your spirit. Help us to understand in a greater way today, not in a full way, but in a greater way, the unsearchable riches of the gospel. Help us to lift up the strong name of Jesus and to rest and rejoice in his finished work. And help us, Lord, to think carefully about what you are doing in our lives. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. Lord, we lift this prayer up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as I told you, Paul wrote this letter to churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Paul had been used by God to start those churches and to encourage those churches. And now he hears that false teaching had infiltrated these churches, and Paul is upset. He gets right to business in this letter, starting in verse 6, when he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He is upset that they were being led astray from the true gospel. And so he's writing to, to help them to, to understand their error and to correct their thinking and to stand against the false teachers that are leading them astray from uh, the gospel. And he, he, in verse 11, begins to share his own story. And he has a purpose in doing so. And there are two purposes in Paul sharing his story. Is again, he stands for the true gospel and stands against those who are preaching false gospels. Paul uses his autobiography, first of all, to defend the authority of the gospel. He uses his autobiography, his story, to defend the authority of the gospel. Now, you understand, as I've said previously, that false teachers had come into Galatia, and they were called Judaizers. And basically, the message of these false teachers was this. They'd walk into the churches and say, well, we see that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've placed your faith in Him. That's wonderful. But if you really want to be right with God, if you, if you want to make sure you have God's favor and blessing and acceptance on your life, you need to also be circumcised if you're a Gentile and need to keep the Jewish festivals and feasts and Sabbaths. and You need to do all the things prescribed in the law. And if you do all the things right, then and only then can you know that God accepts you. And these false teachers were adding to the gospel. Their gospel was Jesus plus something else. And any message that says we're saved by Jesus plus anything is a false message. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone, right? And so Paul's standing against these teachers and he's saying, You've basically got two options. You can embrace these false teachers, these Judaizers leading you astray, adding to the gospel. Or you can embrace the gospel I preach to you, the good news that Jesus alone saves. Those are your options. You've got to choose one of two messages. But as he encourages them to make this decision, Paul wants them to know 
that his message did not originate with man, but it came directly from God himself. Look what he says there in verse 11. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, this good news I preached to you when I came through Galatia, the good news I'm reminding you of in this letter, justification by faith in in Christ alone, is a message that came directly from God. And he mentions that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and spent time with the Lord in the desert. And in those moments, God revealed him the true gospel. It came directly from from God. It was not man's gospel. And by the way, anytime you hear a religious message that is centered on man, you can can guarantee it was created by man. Paul's saying, their message, the Judaizers, created by men. My message came directly from God. And so he's saying, you got a choice. The true gospel that comes directly from the Lord or these false gospels. John Piper writes, Paul is arguing in verse 12 for the truth of his preaching. His gospel is not a human concoction. It is not his own private version of something he picked up secondhand from the Jerusalem apostles. He writes, it didn't come out of Paul's head. It came out of God's heart. I like that. That's the true gospel. Not invented by men trying to conceive of some way to get to God. But it came from God's heart showing us the way. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, here's my story. I heard it directly from the Lord. You know what Paul's doing here? Paul is claiming to be the mailman, not the author. This is God's story. This is is God's good news. I'm just delivering it to you. When your mailman brings you something, they don't try to interpret the mail for you, do they? They just... Give it to you, right? And you say, I'm the mailman. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, I'm not the chef. I'm the waiter that brings you the food. I'm bringing you the, the dish prepared by the master chef. This is not my own concoction. It came from the Lord, and I'm just bringing it to you. That's what he is saying. I am the waiter. And so Paul uses his autobiography to defend the authority of the gospel. Listen, I met Jesus. That's what he's saying on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9. He he revealed himself to me in a powerful way. And I knew the truth of who he was and what he said. And then he explained to me, as he prepared me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he explained to me what the gospel is all about. So I could preach it to you in truth and sincerity and power. So you got a choice to make, Galatians. You can embrace this message that came directly from God, or you can hang your hat on this false gospel. And he uses his autobiography to make a case for the good news. But there's a second reason that Paul uses his autobiography here. Not only to defend the authority of the gospel, but to declare the effects of the gospel. To declare the effects of the gospel. He, he shares how he was saved and changed, and he's basically sharing, hey, here's what the gospel does. When someone meets Christ, this is how the good news changes someone's life. That's the point that he is making. And so Paul wants them to understand that his story highlights the realities of the gospel. I love the song the choir sang this morning. This this is our story. His story highlights 
the realities of the gospel. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to make a quick turn right here a little bit and kind of and kind of uh, change directions. And what I want to do is I want to use Paul's story to get you to think about your story. I want to use some aspects of Paul's autobiography to cause you to think about your spiritual autobiography and to think about uh, the, the implications of the gospel for your life. So what I want to do is I want to walk through Paul's story, and, and based upon that, I want to ask you four questions about your story. That sound good? So let me give you these four questions. Number one, have you been saved? Have you been saved? Notice what Paul writes in verse 13. You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. What's Paul doing here? He's sharing quickly his conversion experience and his call to preach. The story that's described in Acts 9, his, his journey on the road to Damascus. Now, you know that Paul was a man that was trained to be a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader. He was trained in the way of the Pharisees. He was zealous for the traditions of the Pharisees. He says it there. And he was so zealous for the traditions of the Pharisees when he saw their belief system threatened by Jesus and his message of hope and forgiveness and salvation, he began to stand against that message and began to stand against Jesus and his followers. And, and he even went so far as to, to hold the robes of those who stoned Stephen and killed him for preaching the gospel. And he even held on to this, this Judaism to the, to the effect that he would go to places like Damascus and drag people out of their homes and throw them into prison. He was passionate about stopping the spread of Christianity. So you might say that Paul had a past. And guess what? Everyone in this room has a past. Just like Paul, all, we've all had times we found ourselves in opposition to God. Romans 5 tells us that before we were saved, we were enemies of God. Because God is perfect and God has shared His, His uh, standards for what righteousness is. And we've all fallen short of that standard, which is perfection. And when we don't do what God's told us to do, and we do what God's told us not to do, we fall short of His glory. We are guilty. We are enemies of God. That's what Romans 5 says. I've heard people say this before, and I'm going to say this gently because maybe this is something that you've said before or, or even hold on to now. And, and I'm saying this gently, but I want you to understand the, the, the difference here. I've heard people say, when I've asked them about their salvation experience, they say, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. The Bible is clear that we have fallen short of the glory of God if you were always saved, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? He died for your sins. And your sins separate you from God. 
And so for you to be reconciled to God, for you to have a relationship with God, your sins must be washed away. And that only happens when you place your faith in Christ. So Paul had a past. He was standing against Jesus. So zealous was he for his religion. But Paul had a conversion experience. On the road to Damascus, Jesus revealed himself to him in a bright light. Paul falls down and says, Who are you, Lord? What would you have me to do, Lord? And he obeys Jesus and responds to Jesus' call. And it is in those moments that he is converted as he places his faith in the risen Lord Jesus. He was converted. And my question is, have you had a conversion experience? Now listen, come in real close. Paul was religious before he had a conversion experience. And you know that's possible, right? Do you know you can be religious? You can be a member of a church. You can have gone through a confirmation or a membership class. Your name can be on a roll somewhere. You can be a Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist and still not be saved. Do you know that? When we stand before God on that day, the question is not going to be, what is our denominational affiliation? Baptist in this line, and you know, it's not going to be like that. In fact, I read recently my own personal quiet time, my time alone with God, Matthew 25, when it says, when Jesus is sitting on his throne, there will be two groups of people, sheep and goats. Saved and unsaved. And I want you to know, you can be religious and be a goat. Because even though you're trying to do some religious things, you've never been born again. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3. And so, he had a conversion experience. My question is, have you had a conversion experience? I want to be careful here. I'm not suggesting that you need to know the exact time or place, all right? I know when I was saved, I can't tell you the date, but I was nine years old. It was a summer afternoon, meeting with my pastor. He walked me through the gospel, and I called on his name, and I was saved at nine years of age. You may not know the exact time or place, but listen to me. If you're truly saved, there was a time when you were in the kingdom of darkness, and you were transferred to the kingdom of God's dear Son, the kingdom of light. And my question is, has that happened? Are you born again? Have you been converted? Have you seen your personal need for a Savior to the fact where you say, I need to be saved, I need my sins washed away, I want to be right with God, Jesus! Will you save me? Has that happened in your life? Have you called on the name of Jesus? So you can be born again. You can't read Paul's, Paul's story in autobiography without saying, man, that, that guy was saved. I had someone say to me years ago, uh, you Baptists, all you talk about is being saved. What else do you want to talk about? It, it, listen, if we are headed for hell, eternity separated from God, and there's only one way to go to heaven and have your sins forgiven, we better talk about it. We are saved in Christ. And by the way, that's biblical language. 
Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And so Paul was, was converted. He had a past. He stood against Christ, but he was saved on the road to Damascus. And here's the point for all of us in this room. All have sinned, so all need to be saved. All need to be saved. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're here today and you've not been born again and you've got that conviction of the Spirit in your life saying you need to be saved, you can be saved. If Paul could be saved, you can be saved. Amen? And so, have you been saved? A little bit later in this service, we're going to have an opportunity for you to just come forward and say, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. And we'll talk to you and share God's word with you and answer your questions. But today can be your day of salvation. Today. But there's another question. Not only have you been saved, the second question based upon Paul's autobiography is, do you know your purpose? Do you know your purpose? Look what he says in verse 15. When he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's saying, not only was I converted on the road to Damascus, but I immediately received my commission. I immediately received my call there on the road to Damascus. And notice he says, it happened, God had it in place before I was even born. He had this, this plan in place for my life. Now you say, oh that's, oh, that's the Apostle Paul. I mean, of course he knows his purpose. I mean, Jesus manifests himself to him, a bright light, gave him specific verbal instructions. Of course Paul knows his purpose. That's Paul. I'm not an apostle. How am I supposed to know my purpose? Can I share this with you? Just like God had set apart Paul for the missionary work to the Gentiles before the foundations of the earth, before he was even born, God has a pre-prepared plan for your life too. But I don't believe that. Ephesians 2, I just quoted it, 8, 9, and 10. The Bible says, listen, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. Listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus beforehand that we should walk in good works. Wow. That verse tells me that if you know Jesus, if you're saved, if you're born again, God has some pre-prepared plans that he intends for you to walk in. He has a purpose for your life, a plan for your life. A specific plan for your specific life. You hear me? I feel like the church has gotten away from talking about that. Particularly with young people. Our young people need to understand. God has a plan for your life. You're not just to kind of bump around haphazardly. You're to follow the Lord wherever he leads. So I want you to know, just like Paul, he was an apostle. He had this, this call to go to the Gentiles primarily with the gospel. He was used mightily from God. But just like God had a plan for Paul's life, God has a plan for your life. And it is every bit as important as Paul's plan. God has a role for you in his kingdom. And it's a pre-prepared plan. So you say, well, I wish Jesus would you know, shine his light on my path. 
and speak audibly to me so I could know that plan. Don't you, don't you, wouldn't you like that to happen? Just make it very, very clear. Well, the Lord intends us to walk by the Spirit in accordance with the Word of God in the fellowship of the saints. That's how we discern God's direction and will in our life today. But here, here's what I want to tell you. I want to get, give you some thoughts about how you can come to understand God's pre-prepared plan for your life. So you are walking in the good works God has for you. Here's the, here's the first thing. Discern how God has shaped you. If you want to walk in God's pre-prepared good works for your life, discern how God has shaped you. Here's what's interesting about Paul. He was perfectly prepared by God for what God called him to do. I mean, and think about it. He was born in Tarsus, which means he was a Roman citizen. This Roman citizenship, as we see in the book of Acts, would give him an audience with kings. Think about that. Not only was he a Roman citizen, he knew other languages other than Hebrew. So he could speak to different people in different settings. He was raised in Jerusalem. Acts 22.3 tells us that. This would help him to relate to the Jews. He preached the gospel to them and showed him how Jesus fulfilled the promises and types of the Old Testament. He was trained by Gamaliel in the law, Acts 22.3 and 26.5. This would give him a comprehensive knowledge of the Old Testament as a foundation for his preaching and writing. And this knowledge of the Old Testament would serve as framework for his understanding of the gospel when God explained it to him at his conversion in the three years after that. And so my question for, for you is this. How has God prepared you? Paul was perfectly suited for God's call in his life. And I believe that if God shows you his plan and purpose for your life, you'll look back and see how God prepared you for that moment. So begin to look with eyes of faith and look at your journey and ask the question, how has God shaped my life? What are some experiences that I have that could, that could be, be uh, important in me touching people's lives? Moving forward, what are, what are some skills and desires and, and talents and things that I have in my hand that I can use for the Lord? Where were you born? What is your background? What are your life experience? What skills have you acquired? Tim Keller writes, The gospel gives us a pair of spectacles through which we can review our own lives and see God preparing us and shaping us even though our own, through our own failures and sins. To become vessels of His grace in the world. How has God shaped you? I believe that answering that question can really help you to begin to discern what God has for you. Here's the second thing as you desire to walk in the pre-prepared good works God has for your life. Discover God's calling. Discover God's calling. The word vocation comes from the Latin, which means to call. That's what the word vocation means. So if you are in a vocation, you are called to that vocation. So what is God's call on your life? Now, not everyone's called to be apostles, right? There's a select handful of apostles. Not everyone's called to be preachers, which is good news because preachers are weird.
But I believe we all have a calling. We all have a calling. And that calling may show up in your vocation. What has God called you to do? What has he caused you to give much of your time and effort and energy to? Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your station in life. What is God's calling? What are you called to do? And then as you ask God that question, ask God to show you. And I believe He will if you seek Him with a whole heart and you, 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 you passionately want to follow Him. I believe He'll show you what His calling is on your life. Uh, I always go back to uh, the quote from the movie Chariots of Fire. Eric Liddell, uh, he was an Olympic champion in Great Britain. And after that, he went back to, uh, he was Scottish, he went back to China where he was raised by missionary parents and he gave his life for the gospel. But in that movie, there's a scene where he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I know God has designed me for this, this moment in my life. He's made me fast, he says. When I'm running, when I'm competing for the glory of God, I sense God's pleasure in it. What is it in your life that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure? Vocation, calling. What are you called to do in this life? And after you discern how God has shaped you and you discover God's calling, third, develop your calling for the glory of God. Develop your calling for the glory of God. Whatever your path in life is, listen to me, there are two things that will help you to stay in your lane. The first is what I, or what, what we call the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's one of the, the lane markers that keeps us from going the wrong direction. The other is the great commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're called by Jesus to make disciples. And so whatever your path is in life, you're between, you're between those two lane markers. Great commandments, great commission. And if you will leverage your journey for the great commandments and the great commission, you will find yourself fervently serving God. And staying on the right path. And so what I'm calling you to do today is I'm calling you to leverage your calling for God's kingdom. If you're an educator, if you're in the medical field, if you're in logistics or you're a student or a stay-at-home mom, a small business owner, a salesman, a janitor, you work in retail, you hang sheetrock, whatever it is. How can you leverage that vocation, that calling for the glory of God. How are you going to use it to love people and to love God and then to make disciples, to share the good news, help people to meet Jesus and come into his kingdom? How are you going to use your calling to do that, your vocation? Can you and will you leverage it for the Great Commission. In fact, our International Mission Board has even been saying things like this. Hey, if you're going to college, that's great. Why don't you think about going to college in a city overseas that has hardly any churches in it, and you can go to college overseas and work with a church planting team and help start new churches in that city. Wow. Or... 
If you're a businessman, hey, is it possible you could do your business in an area that is in dire need of the gospel? Maybe in the, the, the unreached areas in western United States or, or overseas somewhere? Could you do business there and, and be an influence, be salt and light where God places you to make disciples? So there are conversations like that happening. And, and I want you to think about your calling and how you can leverage it for the great commandments and the great commission. Sound good? But there's another question I have for you as we think about our autobiography. Have you discovered the life-shaping joy of time alone with God? Have you discovered the life-shaping joy of time alone with God? Look what Paul says in verse 16. When he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with, with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. In other words, I'm not just parroting a message I heard. He's saying, I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. So there's a a preparation time where God was teaching him the, the impact and implications of the gospel that prepared him before he even spent time with the other apostles. And much of that time was spent in Arabia. Here's what we basically know about Arabia. It was the wilderness. It was the desert. And Paul says, I went into Arabia, and I was alone with God. It was there that I learned much that prepared me for this calling. So Paul spent extended time, listen to me, alone with God And it shaped his life. And I believe if you and I will spend extended time alone with God, he will shape our lives too. Have you discovered the life-shaping joy of time alone with God? Now here's what's interesting. Paul mentions Arabia again in chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 24. And in that section, he's using allegories, comparing uh, Sinai with Jerusalem, and he's comparing the law with grace and the law with freedom. But he uses Sinai as an allegory there in that passage, and he mentions it in reference to Arabia. He says, in Arabia, there's a mountain called Sinai. Now, you know what Mount Sinai is. It's where Moses went up on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments. Remember that story? You seen the Charlton Heston version? Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, I can't prove what I'm about to say. This is one of those things where we have to wait till heaven, all right? To, to, but I can't prove this, but I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, uh, posturing. I believe that when Paul was Arabia in Arabia, he spent some time on Mount Sinai. Now, let me tell you how. Well, I believe that if I was in Arabia. And I knew about Moses, which he did very well. And I knew about the law and all. If I, was, if I was traveling through and I looked and said, what mountain is that? Oh, that's Mount Sinai. I guarantee you I'd go check it out, wouldn't you? I mean, when I was in Israel and I was uh, 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 at Mount Carmel, where Elijah had the showdown with the prophets of Baal, guess what? I went up on Mount Carmel. Why would I miss that? And it's just hard for me to think that Paul would be in Arabia in the vicinity of Mount Sinai, not go up on that mountain. 
And I believe that Paul probably had some incredible times with the Lord. We know in Arabia, maybe, I can't prove it, but maybe even on Mount Sinai. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Again, we'll ask when we get to heaven. But we do know that he was in Arabia for an extended period of time. And that time alone with God shaped his life. Chuck Swindoll writes this. I love this quote. I'm convinced it was there in that barren place of obscurity that Paul developed his theology. He met God intimately and deeply, silently and alone. He plumbed the unfathomable mysteries of sovereignty, election, depravity, the deity of Christ, the miraculous power of the resurrection, the church, and future things. It became a three-year crash course in sound doctrine from which would flow a lifetime of preaching, teaching, and writing. More than that, it's where Paul tossed aside his polished religious trophies and traded his resume of religious credentials for a vibrant relationship with the risen Christ. And Swindoll says, everything changed. In his time alone with God, everything changed. Now, now just listen to me. Maybe you wonder why your life's not changing that much. You're just kind of going through the motions. Could it be that you haven't discovered the joy of life-shaping time alone with God? Because I promise you if, you, if you give the Lord that kind of space in your life, everything will change. Just you and the Lord and an open Bible... If you'll give him time and space, he will work, he will shape, he will mold you into who you need to be to follow his calling for your life. But there's a final question. We think about Paul's autobiography and ours. Have you been saved? Do you know God's purpose for your life? Have you discovered the life-shaping joy of time alone with God? But fourth... Do people glorify God because of you? What a challenging question. Look at the end of this passage. He says, after three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That's Peter. That's the Aramaic for uh, Peter. Went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, probably back to Tarsus, where he was from. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Oh, that that would be said of our lives. They glorified God because of me. Notice he doesn't say they glorified me. He said they glorified God. Because of me. There's a huge difference. Has your life been transformed? And is it in an ongoing way being transformed as you follow God's pre-prepared plan for your life? Can people look at your life, listen to me, your marriage, your home, how you act on the job, in your school, in your classroom? Can, can they look at you and, and see 
that Jesus makes a difference? Do they see that when they look at your life? Are they glorifying God because of you? I would submit to you that there is no higher purpose for our lives than to live in such a way that God gets glory. Amen? Can you think of a greater purpose than that? I can't. No higher purpose. And so, ask yourself the question. Do people glorify God because of me? And if not, am I willing for God to change me and work so that people will begin to glorify God because of me? It's a challenging question, right? I, I read uh, in my, my time alone with God uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. There's, every time I read it, it's striking. Uh, Moses is recounting to the people uh, their disobedience and not going into the promised land and their wilderness wanderings for 40 years because they disobeyed God. But he makes a, a, a brief statement. He says, Mount Sinai was only 11 days from the entrance of the promised land. We were 11 days away. Instead of going to the promised land and entering like God told us to do, fulfilling his purpose and call, we've been bumbling around in the wilderness for 40 years. Wow. Could that be your spiritual journey? Instead of boldly following the Lord, obeying him, living for his glory, experiencing the richness of obedience to him, are you bumbling around in the wilderness? A haphazard life? Or are people glorifying God because of you? Do they see the difference Jesus Christ makes? Here's what I want you to walk away with, the point of this sermon. So think about autobiography, because we all have one, amen? Our lives should be living illustrations of the power of the gospel. That's Paul's point. He shares the autobiography to say, this gospel is true. It came directly from him. And also, this gospel works. It changes lives. Just look at me. That's what Paul's saying. Our lives should be living illustrations of the power of the gospel.